Welcome back to Theology in Action. Uh, again, I'm Levi Hytree here with Dr. Tony Caffey. How's your day? Levi, good to see you, man. Ready to talk some theology. Yeah, yeah. So today we've got a, a interesting topic. I think we'll have plenty, plenty to chew on when we get into it. And today's topic is being made in the image of God. Uh, and yep. first, I think most direct question is, what would you say it means to be made in the image of God? Yes, this is something that's uniquely Christian, too. Uh, you might say Judeo-Christian, yep. because when you come at this question without the benefit of Scripture, without the benefit of Christian faith, you really don't end up anywhere meaningful. And if your worldview is derived from, let's say, an evolutionary framework, you have primordial goop that all of a sudden becomes self-aware, and that's how you derive meaning or dignity as a human being. It's not very substantive. And so I think as there, there is something in the, the human psyche, in the human nature that says we are different. We are mm -hmm. important. We're unique. But why? Um, some atheists would say we're not. We're just a bunch of molecules who are randomly kind of gathered, and then the world will cease to exist and it'll all be over. Um, that's not very compelling or, uh, it, you know, th there's something inside of the human being that says, no, we're, we got to be more than that. There's something more to it. And that takes us to the scriptures that say we are a created being by a creator mm -hmm. and we're created different from the other created things, even the other organic living things. So, you know, the the basis of our faith and the basis of our worldview in terms of Christianity, Judeo-Christian worldview, if you want to say it that way, is God created the entire world, everything we see, um, even beyond what we can see in the world. And on the sixth day, after he created the rest of the animal kingdom, he created human beings and he created them in his image. Mm. And that's different. That's substantively different than the rest of the animal kingdom. Yeah. So that's who we are. We are, yes, we're animals, and I'm okay saying that we're a mammal. Uh, you know, I've even said before, I think it comes from Philip Yancey, he talks about Jesus, part of his incarnation is that he became a mammal. And that's really shocking, the idea that, yes, Jesus became a mammal. What, is, what does that mean? He became a human being. And uh, that's glorious in terms of his incarnation and how he became like us. But we are a part of the animal kingdom, and yet we're distinct. We're the only one, the only species that's made in God's image. Yeah. Genesis 2 even goes on to describe the, the breathing into our nostrils, the breath of life, which is different from the animals as well. Yeah. So that's what it means to be human in the Christian tradition. Okay, okay. Uh, so as you started kind of touching on it, you I think as you read through Genesis 1 and into 2, there is that clear distinction that man and woman are the only ones that was made in God's image. So yep. you are making a clear distinction between man and animals and how we should perceive humans compared to how we should perceive animals. Yes. Okay. Uh, can you kind of elaborate on, on your perspective on that? Yeah. So the theological term is imago Dei, okay. uh, which is Latin for image of God. Actually, my son is taking Latin right now, so he says it's Imago Dei. So mm. I don't know Latin well enough to know, but Interesting. That, okay. that takes too long. So I'm just <laughs> going to say Imago Dei. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and there's an aspect. So, so what does that mean? Okay, we're made in the image of God. Uh, there are certain attributes, certain aspects of God that he has actually implanted inside of man. So we're, there's a God-likeness that mm -hmm. we have as human beings, but there's also an animal-likeness. Okay. And so that's the intersection for human beings. Uh, part of what that means, I believe, theologically, is that we have this self-awareness, we have a conscience, and animals do as well, but it's different. It's uh, quite different, actually. We have the ability to uh, discern good and evil. Our instincts are, are more refined than the animal kingdom, which reflects that uh, you know, aspect of our God-likeness. We can communicate in ways that the animal kingdom can't. I say, well, you know, whales talk to one another. They whistle or whatever they do, and dogs bark. Yeah, they communicate, but it's it's very primitive mm -hmm. compared to what we're doing right now. We're recording a podcast. Yeah. People are listening to us. Um, there's the the power to innovate and create. You know, um, humans build skyscrapers. Dogs don't. You know, not yet anyway. Uh, beavers build dams, but there's not a whole lot of uh, be there's not a whole lot more to that than just instinct, and that's not a, always good either. That what they're doing in terms of building dams, human beings uh, engineer things in a way that's way different than the animal kingdom. We have uh, the power even now to travel into outer space to build these microprocessors that can store an incredible amount of information. We build these things called iPhones that are little brains. We're all yeah. little cyborgs running around because of how powerful yeah. these things are. That's just different than yeah. the animal kingdom. And I think that's a reflection of us being made in the image of God. And I'll add one more thing to this. This is a little bit debated, but you know, Ecclesiastes talks about eternity in the hearts of man. Yeah. And I do think that's an aspect of our Imago Dei uh, essence as well, is that we are created to live forever. We're eternal beings. And so that's part of the Christian worldview as well, that we believe that everybody's going to live forever, mm -hmm. every human being, I should say, somewhere, either in the presence of God or separated from God forever. So I think that's at least philosophically wrapped up into this this idea of us being image bearers as well. Yeah, absolutely. You keep answering parts of my question before I ask them, but you just touched on on a subject. Would you say that all men, Christian or not, are created in some aspect of in the image of God? Absolutely. Okay. And that's that's a fundamental Christian yep. doctrine. Yeah. So and and there's a common grace aspect to that that's passed down to every human being. There's dignity passed on to every human being. And so, you know, even if, you know, if I were to argue against the demeaning of human beings in other parts of the world, and in yeah. some parts of India, there was child sacrifice historically, or the actually sacrifice of a widow after the husband died. Um, that was a practice that William Carey actually sought to eliminate in India. Child sacrifice has been part of some pagan kingdoms historically. Um, in our modern day world, we have things like euthanasia. We have yeah. things, we have the whole eugenics movement, which was actually quite popular in America mm -hmm. at the turn of the 20th century. A lot of people don't know that, but, um, and Hitler used that to, to do some really terrible things. That mentality, 
why do, how do I argue against that even in places where there's not a, a, a Christian foundation, a Christian worldview? It's because there's dignity bound up in us being made in the image of God, and that that dignity and that um, uh, the humanness that we have needs to be protected, needs to be honored. And so I think that's, uh, in terms of common grace, that's a gift also that our Christian theological uh, bearings gives to the world. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of negativity about like what Christianity brings to the world, and people can harp on all different kinds of things. But uh, as you trace the movement of Christianity historically, it has always brought good things into the world, whether that meant you know, the elimination of slavery, William Wilberforce in England and in other places, or the way in which they influenced the Roman Empire in, in a powerful way to give dignity to the orphans and those who were adopted, uh, those children that were kind of just left on the streets in the Roman Empire. You know, the Christians were initially the ones that were bringing those um, people into their houses, adopting people into their homes because they had this conviction inside yeah. of them, this is an image bearer, this child, this young boy, this young girl. And so I, I see that. I know I'm a pastor, and so I've, I've got a, an agenda, but that's part of what I see is that one of the gifts that Christianity gives to the world is, is we're uplifting this idea of human dignity. And I, I don't think you can really derive that from other worldviews, certainly not the, the atheistic worldview. Okay, yeah. I would I would agree completely. I have heard uh, many talk about the broken image and mm. kind of what that means. And can you put into terms? Can you define that kind of in a clear manner for us? Yeah, the church fathers, as they wrestled with this, they actually thought the image of God was uh, some of the church fathers was removed at the fall. So we're made in the image of God, and then Genesis 3, now all of a sudden the image of God is compromised or obliterated. Um, I don't think that's the case. Okay. So we carry with us uh, past Genesis 3 into our modern world the this, this image bearing. But, and I think this is what you're alluding to, there's fallenness, yes. and so there's yes. depravity. Um, and we, we carry that right into the world, even as we're born, we have this sin nature, yeah. we have this propensity for evil. And I think you can get carried away with that on both sides of that. You can just say, oh, we're image bearers, we're, we're, we're God-like. Look how great human beings are. There's this overly optimistic view of how good human beings are. are. And that even trickles into the secular world as well. It was people like Rousseau who thought children are born innocent, mm. and they're only corrupted by their horrible parents. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that's not true. Any parent will tell you that there's a natural inclination for sin with their children, and that's that's part of how we are. So if you overemphasize the made in the image of God and de-emphasize the depravity that's built inside of us, you're going you're gonna to miss the way in which we really are and the, the biblical tension that is that the biblical truth that's held in tension between that. If you overemphasize human depravity, which some of the church fathers did, unfortunately, some, you know, some over-eager theologians over time too have emphasized depravity, depravity. You know, we're so depraved, we're so evil, we're so yes, we are, but we're also image bearers. Yeah. There's also common grace. There's also 
a conscience and an instinct that's part of us being made like God that's part of the human equation as well. Even, even an atheist, even somebody who's opposed to God, there is good built into them by their image bearing. So those, those two things need to be held in tension. We are made in the image of God, but also Genesis 3, we're depraved. And that's why we needed the image bearer, uh, Jesus Christ, to come into our world, who actually circumvented what we call original sin because of the virgin birth. He doesn't have a father yeah. like uh, you or I do or the rest of the world. Uh, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, bypassing uh, original sin, still fully human, but also divine and sinless. And he becomes for us the the perfect one that saves us from our sins. That's awesome. <laughs> it's always an just kind of a stunning, amazing thing to think about on that aspect. Obviously, uh, the there is some responsibility and weight and some brevity into in the fact that we are image bearers. What does that mean to a Christian? How does how should that affect their lifestyle, I suppose? Well, we're going back. I'm going to go back to politics, which that was our <laughs> first go. podcast, yeah. right? But, uh, you know, those children in yeah. the womb are image bearers. Yeah, absolutely. And that image bearing predates their birth. They're, yeah. you know, I, I think it's right to call children in the womb preborn children. So there has been attempts at the turn of the 20th century to you know, limit the, the uh, reproductive capacities of certain ethnicities or certain, those people who had certain mental handicaps. And, and I think that's just wrong. Yeah. And, um, and we need to protect for all human beings this concept of being made in the image of God, even if there, there are uh, certain limitations that they have, uh, those who do have mental handicaps or those you know, who um, are from a more impoverished part of, of the world or our community. The, the person who is born on the other side of the world, totally different from an American person, that person is made in the image of God. In, a, yeah. in an Aboriginal tribe on another part of the world, maybe a primitive existence that's um, totally different from my quote-unquote modern-day American world, that person is made in the image of God, just like I am made in the image of God. And, it, you know, I'm Scots-Irish. Sure. So we used to be naked in the woods of Britain 3,000 years ago, too. Native American. I used to be naked in these woods around here somewhere. So, yeah. I haven't heard a, a, one of the Jewish prime ministers said that once, that they were kind of throwing some anti-Semitic statements towards him. And he told them, well, when your ancestors were naked in the woods of Britain, you know, Moses <laughs> handed down the law to my people and we were all literate. So, yeah. I mean, that's a great response. But but even in that, we need to be careful that sure. that um, uh, that we protect the, uh, the dignity, the human yeah. dignity and sanctity of each human life. So back to politics, you know, that should inform the way in which we vote. That yeah. should inform the way in which we advocate. That should inform the way in which we... Um, you know, and and not even beyond those issues as well, and and the way in which we think about justice and uh, fairness, and yeah. um, you know, the way that we distribute and adjudicate issues needs to be fair without partiality on people, regardless of their their color or yeah. their sex or their socioeconomic background. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we're talking about this, and it, it kind of just a reminder of even just in a individual's everyday Christian walk and how they treat 
who they run into in Walmart or H-E-B or the homeless guy on the corner is, he is also an image bearer and he should be treated as such. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so I think the common place everyone can go to is, and we talked about it a little bit, is the Genesis one. Is there any other places, New Testament, Old Testament, that we see scripture tell us we're image bearers? Um, well, there's a few different places in Genesis, uh, that reinforce that. Um, Psalm eight is kind of a go-to passage that I've dealt with even recently in preaching. And what I love about Psalm eight is it strikes the right balance between the insignificance of man before God, but the also combined with that, the great significance that man has before God for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So what is man that you're mindful of him, the son yeah. of man that you care about him? Why does God care about little old us, yeah. the God who created all of these galaxies and all right. of these stars and, you know, seven billion people in our world? Well, you know, who am I before yeah. all of that? Yet he you has know, our hairs numbered. It's yes. fascinating. Yes. And yet, uh, even as part of that psalm, there's this description about how God has uniquely uh, created man to be different yeah. from the animal kingdom, and he does care about him. And that goes right into the New Testament, that goes right into the idea that, you know, God became a man in order to save men. He didn't become a dog in order to save dogs. Love dogs. You know, dogs are great. Uh, he didn't become a cat to save cats. Um, he didn't even become an angel to save the fallen angel. Yeah. That's interesting yeah. to me. You know, that angels... Really, as I understand angelology, there was a once-for-all-time opportunity to either show their allegiance to God or show their allegiance to Satan. And once that was done, it was done, and their yeah. their uh, eternity was basically um, set at that point. God did differently, and angels long to look into these things, yeah. this plan of redemption that God has set out for human beings. So Psalm 8 is a good place to go for how we put together the idea of our createdness and our humanness and our smallness, but also the um, the care and the love and the redemption that God puts in place for human beings as well. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any, we'll go to where we always like to go is the how-tos, the practicals. Can you think of any practical steps one might take or changes in their day-to-day or just their thought or perspective that a, a Christian might need to apply knowing this? Yeah, and let me let me offend some people as we close <laughs> here. Um, when I was a kid, I had a dog named Tasha that I loved, my German Shepherd. And we were hiking with my dad, and we were kind of in a dangerous place where we were hiking up on top of a hillside. And so I love my dog, yeah. you know, Tasha, and I had her by the leash and we were, you know, uh, try walking with her. And my, my dad, <laughs> as my dad was, was wont to do when I was young, he pulled me aside and he gave me this stiff rebuke. And he said, if that dog falls off of this cliff, you let go of the leash immediately. Mm. And don't you dare try to go after or try to... Re- and, and you know, of course, I was probably crying. I don't remember. It was like, no, not Tasha. Yeah. But he, what he was teaching in that moment is that, son, I know you love your dog. I know this dog is precious to you. And and we're we're we have dominion over the world. We're yeah. to care for our animals and to you know, I've got cats now that I take care of. Probably 
take too good a care of them sometimes. But my dad was teaching me something in that, and he wouldn't have used Imago Dei, or he wouldn't have used some of that theological terminology, but he was showing me there's a substantive difference between you and that dog. And you, my utmost priority as your father is to protect you and to value your life even above hers. So I think I think that's a good learning lesson for our children. So as we yeah. raise our children, we need to show them the difference between... Um, you know, let's say uh, child sacrifice, as we read it in the Bible, is this heinous thing. And, you know, Genesis 9 and other places where animals are actually, you know, sacrificed or can be used for food, there is a difference between that. And the Bible is clear. You know, you and I have talked about this yeah. offline, yeah. about the humane treatment of animals yeah. and even the ways in which they're slaughtered for sacrifice and for uh, food and, and consuming them. But... Uh, Never should we mix up those principles. So uh, this last Sunday, I, I quoted that statement from PETA, a dog is a rat as a pig is a boy. That's Newkirk's kind mm-hmm. of famous line that they base PETA off of. You know, we're all the same. We're all God's creatures. That is just not true. Yeah, and absolutely. And we need to teach our children that. We need to teach our churches that. We need to... Uh, advocate for human dignity in a world which is quickly demeaning human dignity yeah. uh, through through ways that they're not even aware of sometimes. You know, uh, the, the one that comes to mind, and this is hotly debated, is kind of legally assisted suicide. Why? Yeah. You know, why not put somebody out of their misery, a human being, if we do that with dogs? And the, the quickest answer to that is because humans are different than dogs. Yeah. And God is ultimately the one who determines when a human being's life is going to be required of them. That might bring up another issue that we can tackle another time, capital punishment, yeah. but uh, it's probably enough for, for one sure. podcast. Sure. I mean, even on that, I just think about the how many people get saved at the last minute in that 11 o'clock hour. And I mean, God's sovereign, we obviously know that, but just... Are we fighting? Are the people that are fighting for these things fighting against that aspect of just give up on this person and move on? And we're not meant to. I mean, even if we see no fruit, no results, I've got many family members in my life that are a testament to. I would not, in any other sense, I would have given up on seeing any faith, any walk of faith in their life. And I'm starting to see fruit in that after I've been around 38 years. They're in their 70s. So, yeah, it's I absolutely agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, so legally accepted suicide or assisted suicide is is not moral. It's not morally yeah. assisted suicide. Yeah. There there is a a moral argument that we have to make as Christians that this is not right. Yeah. Uh and keep advocating I guess against that. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your time again, uh, Dr. Caffey. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have today for Theology in Action. Uh, For more content, you can check out bbvf.org. We stream our Sunday and Wednesday services on there, and you can stay tuned for more Theology in Action.